Uh, good morning. Welcome to Catalyst. My name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here. And uh, I'm going to actually ask you all questions. I didn't brief you on this, but uh, do you all have a favorite comfort food? I'm the wrong person to ask that question. Okay. <laughs> Mac and cheese. Mac and cheese? Homemade, craft? Homemade. Homemade. Okay, good. Anything, Will? I don't know. Fried catfish, maybe? Okay, know. okay, okay. Mine is uh, something called corn dip. It is an ancient family recipe in my family, and it goes like this. It's very complicated to make. You take corn, uh, either a can, preferably a bag of frozen corn, and fry it in a bunch of butter, and then you, you add in one part cream cheese, one part pepper jack cheese, and you melt it all up, and then you eat it with Doritos. Okay? Yeah, it's really hard to get right. Um, it is something my family used to make only on Christmas Eve when I was a little kid. It was like our Christmas Eve. So we'd go to Christmas Eve service at church, and then we'd come home. Uh, we would have stopped by Blockbuster Video earlier in the day, because I'm old. And uh, we would each get to pick out one movie, me and my two siblings. And then we would go home, we'd make corn dip, and then we would watch those movies until we fell asleep. Uh, and, and so corn dip for me always, like now of course I'm an adult and I can make it whenever I want, uh, which I try not to abuse. But anytime I eat it, like it, trans, you know, it just transports me back to those Christmas Eves with my family, like those feelings of excitement and joy and feeling safe. Uh, and I don't know, it's, a, like it's, it's a nice, it's just a nice comforting dip. Uh, I don't know where it came from. No one in my family is aware of when it entered into our family cuisine uh, based on the fact that it's like all cheese and carbs and processed food. I'm assuming it originated in the Midwest, which is where I grew up. But uh, yeah, it's, it is so fun. And as I was putting together the message for today, I, that's what I kept coming back to, is this idea of what are, the, you know, what are the things in our lives that make us feel safe, that make us feel a sense of home, that make us feel comfort. Uh, because you know, throughout the series, we've been talking about some really difficult things, and the reality that uh, for a lot, of, a lot of believers these days, we are lacking a sense of home and a lack of feeling safe and secure. And uh, the, the text that we're going to be looking at later today actually speaks to that. It's in a part of the book of Jeremiah that scholars call the little book of comfort. And a lot of the verses that we're going to be talking about are verses that God's people have hung on to for a lot of years because they, they promise faithfulness and they promise comfort to us. And so that's really what today is about. We're ending out a series uh, so don't worry if you have not been with us during this series, you're not going to feel lost. We're going to be doing a lot of review and recap in a way that hopefully invites you into what we've been doing so far. And then, of course, if you have been with us, then it's a chance for you to uh, reflect and, and uh, meditate on where we've been and how God is speaking comfort to us as a way of encouraging us to continue to be God's faithful people. So I'm really excited about today. I think it's going to be a really fun, good day. Obviously, we're going to be receiving communion here in a little bit. And so if you're in the building, hopefully you grabbed some communion elements on your way in. If you're gathered with us virtually, then hopefully you've been able to get something uh, together over there, you know, anything from actual bread and wine to, you know, Goldfish and, and apple juice is fine. Anything that is just so you can participate with us when we do that. And I already introduced Will as our guest worship director today. Uh, Nathan is still on his honeymoon, which we are very excited for him and his, his wife, Guhei. So we're, uh, we miss them, of course, but we're happy to have Will and uh, the band here. So I'm going to turn it over, Will, to you and let you introduce the rest of the band, who, again, if you've been around for a while, are no strangers to Catalyst. But it's good to have you all back for the day. So thank you. Yes, good morning. Okay, so we are at the, actually at the end of our Black Sheep series. This is a series we began a couple of months ago, and we were asking the question, 
how do we live faithfully in a world where it feels like being faithful uh, means that we don't fit in? And we weren't talking about how faithfulness makes us stick out from the world. Uh, that's always been true of God's people. We were talking specifically about how it feels when our call to follow Jesus, to live like him, to pursue the things that he cares about, feels like it's making us stick out from other Christians, from the larger part of the church, how it makes us feel like we're a sheep of his flock that are not like the rest of the sheep. And so in order to uh, kind of get a handle on what it might look like to live faithfully as black sheep, we turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah was one of the prophets of ancient Israel who lived in a, a really unique time in history for God's people specifically. He, he lived in the decades leading up to an event known as the exile, when the Babylonian Empire conquered and destroyed God's people. Uh, but then Jeremiah lived through the exile. He survived the exile, and he was one of the people that was left behind when the Babylonian conquerors uh, forcibly, they called it the exile because they took all of the cultural leaders, the nobles and the priests and all of the politicians and the lawyers, and basically anyone who, who made uh, the infrastructure of the country function, they forcibly deported them to Babylon. And Jeremiah was one of the people who was left behind uh, in the rubble. And so he had a really unique experience of being a person who had been warning God's people that if they did not change their ways, if they did not try to be faithful, that this judgment would happen. Of course, they did not listen to him. And it turned out that he was right. And so because of that, he then lived through the calamity and then became not a voice of uh, impending doom, but rather a voice of comfort. Someone who was promising the people that even though they had been faithless and even though they had been uh, devastated, God had not, in fact, abandoned them and was, and was still working to bring good. So uh, we have learned a lot from Jeremiah about what it means to live faithfully in a culture that is not faithful to God, uh, a culture that's full of people who give God lip service but then turn around and deny God by uh, our allegiances, by our actions, by our lifestyles. And so today what I want to do is turn to the uh, chapter 31 in the book of Jeremiah. So if you, have, if you have a Bible, go ahead and, there and turn there with me. Uh, if you grab one of the Bibles out of the back, that's on page 468. So as you're turning to Jeremiah 31, uh, the experience I think a lot of us have had during this series, and we've heard it, we, we've heard it in our C groups, uh, I know we've heard it in just kind of casual conversations before and after our worship gatherings and throughout the week, is that this has been both a challenging series and uh, sort of a balm. It's been encouraging to know that we're not alone, that a lot of the things that we've experienced and the things that we've felt over the last several years uh, are not unique to us, but actually are common, that are shared among a number of us who, who are like-minded in that way. But it's also been hard because it's been very challenging for us. Uh, it's been a hard time to be a faithful follower of Jesus. And so I think a lot of us are really wondering how we continue, how we continue to be faithful in a culture where that just seems so difficult, both inside and outside the church. And so we're ending this series in chapter 31 of the book of Jeremiah because this is a, this is a, a little section of the book, it's about four chapters long, that scholars have taken to calling the little book of comfort. And that's because it's short, like I said, just about three or four chapters. But it's, it's, a, it's a space in Jeremiah's uh, life work, in his prophecy, where Jeremiah is specifically focused on God's faithfulness to us 
even in the face of calamity, even in the face of uh, widespread idolatry and unfaithfulness. And so I wanted to end here as a way of looking back through the series. We're going to kind of work back through some of the big themes that we've experienced over the last several weeks and tie those into what we see God promising to God's people as we work through this prophecy that Jeremiah offers in chapter, one, uh, in chapter 31. So the goal for today is not really to break any new ground. Um, uh, we've been doing a lot of that over the last several weeks, had a lot of big ideas, had a lot of very challenging uh, things put in front of us. Uh, today, what we want to do is just sort of review those things, take a deep breath together, and then imagine uh, what it means to be a black sheep church and celebrate God's faithfulness to us even in the midst of that. Uh, so let's read the first couple of verses of Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah tells us uh, that God said, In that day, looking ahead to the restoration of everything that was destroyed, right? In that day, I will be the God of all of the families of Israel, and they will be my people. This is what the Lord says. Those who survive the coming destruction will find blessings even in the barren land, for I will give rest to the people of Israel. Uh, there's, there's, there's something really important I want us to hold on here as we move through the day. And this is Jeremiah looking ahead, knowing Babylon is coming, knowing what the, kind of the, the tenor of the destruction is going to be. And God is saying, look, even, even in the midst of that destruction, even in those times afterwards when everything is barren, before, before the people have come back, before things have been rebuilt, before things get good again, even when it's barren, there will be good things happening for those who are faithful. I think it's a really hard thing for us to hold on to when it feels like everything is falling apart, when it feels like the world's against us, when we feel like we don't know where to turn, uh, when we feel like nothing's ever going to get better, right? It's hard for us to hold on and see good things are happening. And yet God promises that's the case. God promises if you will look, if you will see, if you'll trust, you can see the good things that are happening. Uh, uh, let's move on to verse 3. Uh, and this is where we're going to start kind of moving back through everything that, uh, that we've worked through. So verse 3, Jeremiah says that long ago, the Lord said to Israel, I have loved you, my people, with an everlasting love, with an unfailing love I have drawn you to myself. If you were here a few weeks ago, we talked about kessed love, the, uh, the covenantal faithfulness. That's that unfailing love right there, right? Uh, we began this whole series, we actually started it with Jeremiah's call in, in chapter 1, when Jeremiah said that he was too young, that he didn't have the experience, and no one would listen to him, right? And we began with the reminder that our work as God's people is not grounded in our qualifications. It's grounded simply in God's love for us and care for us. In fact, everything we do springs first out of a deep and true connection to who God is and what God is doing in our lives, that, that deep wellspring of God's love. Uh, and, and so Jeremiah reaffirms that here, right? God says to the people, long before you ever knew who I was, I loved you. And long before you ever did anything, I chose you and loved you with this eternal, this everlasting, faithful, this covenantal loyalty. And that's, again, that's something that I think that we too often forget and we too often stray away from is that, uh, is that grounding in God's love. If we do not begin and end everything in a connection to our creator, if we're not grounded deeply in spiritual practices, and if we're not grounded as a community in worshiping together, then uh, it's, it, it is nearly impossible for us to accomplish the things that God has set before us because it all is meant to flow out of God's love for us. Uh, in the second week of the series, we looked at the real problem of idolatry, 
uh, which is uh, replacing God with something else. And the, the metaphor that Jeremiah used in that second week was of uh, leaky, broken cisterns, right? He asked us to imagine that God is a, a flowing stream of, of fresh water, and we are thirsty people. And yet, instead of just going and drinking freely from the water that God has provided for us, we're digging uh, cisterns. We're, we're, we're putting up rain catchers to try to catch some water. And they're leaky, and they're broken, and the water in them is stagnant. And yet, there we are just trying to like scoop out gross, stagnant water rather than drinking freely of the water that God gives us. And Je Jeremiah uses that as an example of the people's idolatry. That when we turn to other things for safety and security, um, whether that's our own efforts or political parties uh, or, or our own identity or whatever, when we do those things, it is like we are trading the free, everlasting river of God's love for us for uh, diseased, stagnated water, uh, for leaky rain catchers, for broken cisterns. And, you know, I know, I know that really hit a lot of us. I know that image uh, it was, it was powerful for me, and it was powerful. I, many of you commented on how haunting that image is for you as well, uh, how often we just do not avail ourselves of the love of God. Uh, and then, of course, how we see that happening in the culture around us, how we see so many churches that are putting their trust and their faith in things other than God and in God's love for us. And so, we went from there into what Ashley brought to us in the third week, which was this, this imagining that, that God had of what it would look like if we would repent and turn back. And there was this powerful moment where the people's response to God's graciousness was a real sense of condemnation and shame. And they said, we just want to lay down in our shame because of how, how bad we feel about how we've betrayed God, how we've run towards idols. And uh, it was a, actually a really beautiful thing because then we saw that God said, but don't do that. Don't lay in your shame, right? I have not come to you in order to shame you. I've come to you to rescue you and to call you and to lift you up and to bring you back into my work. So there's this really important call in this sort of, sort of three-week intro to the series where uh, everything is grounded in God's love, and we acknowledge how often we turn from that to other things, and then when we see the truth of our idolatry, uh, how, how much we want to just lay down and say, oh, we're, so, we're the worst, right? I don't know why God even wastes God's time with us, blah, 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 and then actually God basically saying, like, knock off that nonsense, right? No one wants to hear your whining. We got work to do. Like, get up. I love you. I called you. I am the one who has healed you, so let's, let's get up, and let's be restored, and let's, let's Let's get to work on loving the world together. I was just really, it was just this really powerful uh, statement over those first three weeks about what God's love is and what God's love is for. And I'm glad we took so long before we really got into some of the other responses because uh, I think particularly in our culture, it's very easy for us to just to treat God's love as a thing that we ascend to mentally. Yeah, yeah, we all know that, right? Um, and then move on. And then we fall right back into our idolatrous habits of trusting ourselves, of trusting our, our politics, of trusting something else besides God's love. Uh, and then maybe at best falling into that shame cycle that Ashley talked about, of just feeling bad about feeling bad, you know, and then going back right, right back to it. So uh, before, before we move on, I, I want to pause us there and I want to bring the worship team back up and I want us to 
celebrate God's love for us because it's not something we think our way through. It's something we have to do with our whole being. So I'm going to get out of the way and let them have uh, the platform back to lead us again in that, in that uh, celebration and recognition of God's love. Would you all stand with me? The, the last several weeks, as we have been um, working through our series, we have then been responding to God's love for us. We've been asking what our, our responses look like in light of what God has done for us. And so, uh, I, again, I think it's appropriate, given what we're doing today and worshiping today, that uh, one of the main responses to God's love that we have as a group, as a church, one of our biggest corporate responses is what we're doing right now, worshiping. And so I want to I continue moving on through chapter 31. Here's, here's what Jeremiah says, beginning in verse 4. Uh, God says, I will rebuild you, my virgin Israel. You will again be happy and dance merrily with your tambourines. Again, uh, you will plant your vineyards on the mountains of Samaria and eat from your own gardens there. Um, this powerful promise that God is not done with God's people, that God will bring us back uh, and God will build us up. And so then the prophet goes on to talk about worship. The day will come. Go ahead and, yeah, go ahead and do the next. Uh, the day will come when a watchman will shout from the hill country of Ephraim, come, let us go up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord our God. Uh, now this is what the Lord says, sing with joy for Israel. Shout for the greatness of the nations. Shout out with praise and joy. Save your people. O Lord, the remnant of Israel. So Jeremiah has this vision, even after the destruction of Babylon. And it is, I think, one of the things that's difficult for us today to really feel like in our bones and our guts is how devastating it was for the temple to be destroyed. Because, like, you know, if uh, our building burned down, like, we'd be bummed, right? That would not be, like, my best day ever, but, you know, we, did, we worshiped without a building for two years during COVID, practically, right? And, and we could build another building. We could go, we could, you know, rent out. We, Catalyst, in fact, back in the day, used to rent out space from Stillwater down the street. And we would meet in their auditorium, you know, during the afternoon on a Sunday. And we would worship. So, so for us, a building is a, is a nice thing to have, but it's not the center of what we do. You know, many of us learned that, you know, here's the church, here's the people, open the doors, see all the people thing, right? Like, the people are the church. Like, we talk about that a lot here at Catalyst. And so for us, it's difficult to understand how when Babylon destroyed the temple in Jerusalem, how apocalyptic that was for the people. Uh, for them, that was the one place on earth where, where heaven and earth overlapped. It was the one place that they could come to have an encounter with God. And so when that was destroyed, what that literally meant for them was a, a break in their relationship with God. They couldn't just go somewhere else, go to another temple or something like that. They, they had lost their connection to God. And so for, him, for, for, for God to promise through the prophet Jeremiah that there would be a day when the temple would be rebuilt and when, when once again the shouts would come, let us go up to Jerusalem, which was literal, it was on a mountain, right? So let us go up to Jerusalem to worship uh, that, was a, that was a massive, massive, massive promise of God's faithfulness, right? That God was at work restoring what Babylon had broken, right? Restoring and healing. 
And so for us, I think one of the things that looks like is for a black sheep church, we're really serious about worship, right? We're really serious about coming together and, and understanding that it's not in a building only, right? We love our virtual congregation, uh, those of you who have joined us from all over the, the country. And actually, we have I, our, Kenyan, uh, our Kenyan honeymooners are watching today also, so welcome from all over the world. We're international today, baby. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but, but uh, we, you know, we, again, we do understand that, that, that our worshiping congregation is not just the folks in the building, um, but that we are worshiping together even all over the country, maybe even all over the world, and that what draws us together is who God is and what God is accomplishing among us. And so because of that, as a response to God's love, we do make it a priority to prioritize. We prioritize worship, right? We prioritize coming together, uh, whatever that together looks like, so that we can worship together. Because we understand that when God gathers God's people, something is happening that is beyond, uh, beyond what we can accomplish on our own power. And so uh, that's something that we saw in our series, right, with, uh, with Sabbath. It's something that we saw uh, during, uh, uh, during COVID, and it's something that we see now. So um, the, the other thing, I, re- I did realize I missed something earlier. That's my fault. So uh, one, of the, one of the other things that uh, we covered in this series was God's call for Jeremiah not to just pretend that business is usual, uh, it was this. It was the sermon. If you were here, you might remember it, where God specifically told, told Jeremiah to quit going to weddings and funerals. And he said, "Don't, don't." Basically, God was saying, "Don't pretend that business is usual when business is not usual, right? Don't, uh, don't just continue to do the fast days and the feast days, uh, and, and to, to adhere to the normal rhythms of religious life, just because." everyone else's, right? Because what everyone else was doing was going about their business, pretending everything was usual, and ignoring the fact that something was deeply wrong, that God's people were deep in idolatry, and that while they were going through the religious motions, including things like worshiping on the Sabbath day, uh, and going to weddings, and, and holding funerals, and doing all of the normal fasts and feasts, they were actually deep in idolatry. They were giving their allegiance to other gods. They were worshiping uh, the gods of the other countries around them and looking everywhere but to th- their God for safety and security. And so, so Jeremiah said, uh, or God told Jeremiah not to, not to put his rubber stamp on that as one of God's prophets, right? And we talked about how difficult it's been for many of us over the last several years to continue to participate in some of the things we always used to, whether that was with family or friends or uh, uh, spiritual family, right? And how difficult it's been, it's been to pull back from those things. But to say, yeah, we can't just continue to pr- to pretend business as usual when uh, so many of God's people today are headed down such a, such a dark and, and idolatrous path. Um, the last couple of weeks of this series, our, our friend Sonia has preached, and uh, the first place she took us was into a space of lament. Uh, we actually left the book of Jeremiah, went into the book of Lamentations, um, and Sonia talked about how lament is a spiritual practice for us, how a church that is serious about hearing the voices of the vulnerable is a church that's going to take lament seriously, because what happened in Judah was that they had built an entire culture that drowned out the voices of the most vulnerable. They had prioritized the privileged and kept them from listening to the people who were the most hurt by the things that God did, or the things that they, that, that they were doing that were sinful. And so uh, lamentation was a way for them to hear 
God's voice to stop and to sit in the pain that that was causing and to listen and, and basically like kind of start over from scratch and relearn how to be God's people in a way that attends to the cries of the most vulnerable and to the voices of the most vulnerable. And so uh, what we're going to see next in uh, Jeremiah 31 is this promise that God has, that God's restoration work that God is doing in Jeremiah is not ignoring those vulnerable people either. Here's what, here's what the prophet says. I will bring them from the north and from the distant corners of the earth, and I will not forget the blind and the lame. I will not forget the expectant mothers and the women in labor. A great company will return. Uh, so again, even as God is imagining with the prophet this new day that's coming, uh, God, does not, uh, God does not forget those who are going to have a more difficult return. Right, those who have been ground down, and it's uh, uh, several scholars have noted that when Jeremiah specifically calls out the blind and the lame, there these are uh, pretty common injuries in war in the ancient world. We actually know that when Babylon conquered Judah, uh, they gouged out the eyes of some of the the king's royal family to make them unfit to rule, and then you know obviously in in uh, ancient battles in those days, their their healthcare was not great. And so if you received injuries on your arms or your legs or any of that, they often could end up you know, losing the limb or, or causing some other kind of physical, uh, physical disability in that way. And so for God to specifically call out those two groups, the blind and the lame, was a way to signal to the people that this, is, um, this really is, is not just a general promise of healing for the nation, but also one very specifically, it's healing the wounds of the war and healing the losses inflicted by Babylon. And so God is scooping together all of these people, and God is not forgetting the vulnerable in their midst. Uh, last week, if you were here with us, Sonia talked about Jeremiah's condemnation of the leaders of Israel. Because, of course, uh, God's, the leaders of God's people, the kings and the priests, all those people who ended up getting taken in the exile, they were the ones who were leading God's people astray, right? Um, it, wasn't, uh, it wasn't just a bunch of random people deciding to do idolatry one day. They were being led down this path by their politicians and by their religious leaders who were telling them that this is what God wanted, who were telling them that this was the way that God had for them. Uh, we actually, throughout the book of Jeremiah, see Jeremiah arguing with other prophets, uh, who are telling the kings what they want to hear. And then when Jeremiah is telling them what God is saying, of course, that, you know, they reject that. And so uh, we, see, we see Jeremiah really spending some time condemning these, uh, what he calls bad shepherds, these evil, wicked shepherds of the people. And Sonia uh, led us to remember last week that uh, what we see in, in Jesus himself is a good shepherd who cares for the sheep by laying down his life for the sheep. And so Jesus shows us what kind of leaders we should be following, uh, what kind of leaders we should trust in, and then he himself embodies that good leadership there. Um, but this promise that things will not always be as they were uh, for Jeremiah is something that comes up again and again, and it comes up here in, in chapter 31 as he is imagining what this, this future return is going to look like. Uh, so moving on, he says, uh, tears of joy will stream down the faces of those who are coming back, right? And I, I will lead them home with great care. They will walk beside quiet streams and on smooth paths where they will not stumble, for I am Israel's father and Ephraim is my oldest child. So there again, we have that same language, right? Who is going to lead us back? Well, it's God. 
God himself in the person of Jesus is the one who becomes our faithful leader, who leads us. And uh, if, like me, you memorized Psalm 23 in the King James as a kid, you might have heard the leading us beside still waters and some of those echoes of some of that very pastoral, shepherding kind of a language that, that the prophets loved. Um, so as we're, as we're wrapping up, I, I know we just kind of went real fast through everything that we saw there. I, I just want to bring us back into a time of reflection as we heard the promise of God's comfort. Uh, and I want to ask for us uh, what it means for you to be a part of a black sheep church, right? A church that's really, really uh, takes seriously what it means to be grounded in God's love. And in a way that does not produce shame and condemnation, but in a way that liberates, right? In a way that frees us and orients us towards the world in a posture of love. Uh, I can't say this enough, um, that God's love for us is not meant to be something that shames us or condemns us. Uh, God loves us to liberate us, to free us, to, to restore us to who God created us to be. And if, if we stop short of that, we're missing what's good about Jesus's good news. Uh, so I, I think a black sheep church takes that really seriously. We take God's love seriously. We ruthlessly reject idolatry, right? We refuse those leaky rain catchers and those broken cisterns, and we insist on drinking from the, the cool, clean water of God's love. And we refuse shame and condemnation. We refuse judgment, and, and we insist on God's loving liberation. Um, a black sheep church is going to be one that refuses to go about business as usual, right? That it refuses to pretend things are okay when they're not. Uh, we're, we're a church that insists on worshiping together, that makes it a priority even in a world that does not prioritize gathering for worship. Uh, we recognize that what we do together in this space and in this time really matters. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's something that orients us, again, towards the world in, uh, in the shape of God's love. Uh, we, we insist on lamenting. A black sheep church insists on lamenting because we recognize that we are formed in a culture that does not teach us to hear the cries of the vulnerable. And so by insisting on lamenting, even when it's uncomfortable, even when it's something that we don't want to do, even when it's something that we would rather avoid, uh, it's how we resist a culture that wants to dehumanize and ignore and, and discard. And then lastly, we, we look for leaders that lead the way Jesus does. And we ultimately trust uh, even when we're hurt uh, in those spaces, because I will say as a leader who tries really hard to look like Jesus, I know I'm far from perfect, and I know I've hurt plenty of people, and I know that I'm not finished hurting people. Uh, but, but, I, but I hope in those spaces that I have the grace to grow and to learn as well, and I, and I hope that even as I have been hurt, I can turn and be healed by Jesus. And so to be a black sheep church is, is a difficult calling, uh, certainly we know that from Jeremiah. There's a reason he's called the weeping prophet, right? It's not because uh, he had a great time. Um, but the, the stakes are this, right? That, that we have the calling to be God's people in the world. We have the calling to be formed in the image of Jesus for the sake of those around us. And if we will take, uh, if we will take that call seriously, uh, God will continue to do amazing and incredible things among us. So I want to move us into a time of reflection uh, I'm going to ask you about how God has spoken to you during this series. If today's your first day of the series, that's okay. That still counts, right? Uh, if you've been with us through the whole time, that's obviously good as well. Uh, but then after we've, we've done some questions and given you some space to prayerfully consider them, then I'm going to pray for all of us together, and then we'll receive communion together. So here's the first question I want you to consider. 
How has God spoken to me during this series? Now think about, you know, maybe the last month or so, or you can go back a couple months to when we started this series, how have I ignored God's call on my life in the last month? Are there times that you really know that God has been calling you to do something or calling you to be in a certain way that you've resisted? Now, how have I responded positively to God's call in the last month? Where have I said, yes, Lord? And finally, what does faithfulness in the next month look like? You know, as we round out October, move into November, head into the holiday season, all of that, you know, what, what does faithfulness look like? What is God calling me to do? What's that, that next right thing? pray together. God, you have gathered us today to consider what it means to be a black sheep church and to hear these promises that you make through your prophet Jeremiah, that you are not finished with your people, that you refuse to let our unfaithfulness to you and your covenant faithfulness to us. And so we approach your table this morning humbled and hopeful that you are continuing to work among us. Uh, We bring with us Uh, Nothing, because there's nothing that we can give you that you need uh, that you do not already have. And so instead, we just receive freely from you these elements. We pray as we receive them that they would be a spiritual food, that they would nourish our spirits and stir our imaginations so that we might know uh, how you are at work among us. 
We're so grateful for this chance that we have to be gathered. We're so grateful for a space like Catalyst where uh, a bunch of people who don't fit in anywhere else can find family here. And we pray these things now when we approach your table this morning in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, The night that Jesus was betrayed, he shared this meal with his disciples. And during that meal, he broke bread and gave it to them. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat it. When the meal was finished, he gave them a cup of wine. And he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we remember Jesus' death until he returns. For leading us in worship. Thank you all. It is always such a privilege to have you here. Uh, even when we disagree about She-Hulk, right? It doesn't even matter. So, uh, no, seriously, y'all, I mean, y'all know you're amazing, but I'm just so, it's an honor to have y'all with us every time. So thank you very much. Uh, thank you also to all of our, uh, the rest of our volunteers who make it possible for us to do this and make it possible for our beloved worship director and his wife to be on their honeymoon. I'm just going to keep saying it because I'm so happy for them. So, uh, yeah, we, we will look forward to having them back, obviously, but we're glad they're having a great time as well. Uh, And thank you, of course, to all of our folks who are continuing to give. Uh, We have some exciting stuff coming up that that I'm really looking forward to sharing with you. And thank you for uh, your contributions. Continue to make that stuff like that possible. So thank you to all of you who are consistently giving. Those of you who started giving, we're really grateful for that. Uh, Now, if you'll stand, I want to dismiss you with uh, a a blessing. As as we're doing that... um, I'm assuming, uh, I, I assume a lot of things, and we know we shouldn't do that, right? But I'm assuming that like most of you, like me, know that the church, uh, particularly in our culture, does not have a sterling reputation right now. And uh, I actually spent a lot of the weekend, uh, it was, it was, we call it roller derby prom, it's the end of the season for, uh, for Amanda's roller derby team. And so I spent a lot of time with, with those folks, and uh, uh, many of the newer folks are just finding out I'm a pastor, and so they uh, had some thoughts about that. Uh, and uh, I'm always interested in folks, uh, the folks who have been wounded by church, who have been hurt by church, who have some very legitimate pains associated with church. A lot of the kind of stuff that we explored in this series, right, I know uh, I know that we have, not, not we catalysts, but we the church, right, have, a, have a, I think, unfortunately, a well-earned bad reputation in, in our culture right now. And so in the next series, in our November series, which we're starting in October, because that's what we like to do, uh, we are doing our core values, so we're doing our four core values here, but we're exploring what it means to be a church that takes hospitality seriously and takes love seriously. So uh, we're working on some really fun, cool stuff. Next week, we're actually going to be sharing about our Mexico trip that we took over the summer that many of you were a part of helping us fund and praying for and all of that. And we have some really cool stuff coming out of that. They're going to be shaping the next year, at least, of the church. So we're really excited about sharing that. And then Nathan and I were plotting, and we're trying to bring back some of the Catalyst cooking show uh, that we did over the pandemic. Obviously, we're not exclusively virtual anymore, but we're still trying to have some fun with that. I heard there might be a barbecue episode, so stay tuned for, for that as well. A lot of cool stuff coming up, things we're very excited about. Um, but for now, what I want to do by way of sending us with a blessing is I want to read the rest of our passage for today, the last five verses, uh, verses 10 through 14, because this is... This is where God gets into what God's plans for the people are, okay? And I think it's important for us to remember that God is not interested in restoring the reputation of God's people for our own sakes. And honestly, it's actually not even for God's sake. It's for the sake of the folks in the world who do not know God. Um, My favorite definition of spiritual formation uh, is that we are being formed into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. 
Okay, and we see that reflected here in this promise that God makes through the prophet Jeremiah. So at the end of this Black Sheep series, as we continue to pursue being a Black Sheep church, I want to offer these words over us as a promise from God to the faithful people of God. Listen to this message from the Lord, you nations of the world. Proclaim it in distant coastlands. The Lord, who scattered his people, will gather them and watch over them as the shepherd does his flock. For the Lord has redeemed Israel from those too strong for them. They will come home and sing songs of joy on the heights of Jerusalem. They will be radiant because of the Lord's good gifts, the abundant crops of grain, new wine, and olive oil, and the healthy flocks and herds. Their life will be like a watered garden, and all their sorrows will be gone. And the young women will dance for joy, and the men, old and young, will join in the celebration. I will turn their mourning into joy. I will comfort them and exchange their sorrow for rejoicing. The priests will enjoy abundance, and my people will feast on my good gifts. I, the Lord, have spoken. Go in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we'll see you next week.